Father, we rejoice this morning in the truths that we have sung, truths concerning your character, your word, our salvation. We praise you that we can offer you our thanksgiving and our praises through song and in prayer because of the blood of Christ. We've been reconciled to you, brought into your family through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of your Son. And for this, we give you thanks. We ask now that you guide our hearts as we come to your word. Bless our time around your word. Give us strength to receive the truth by your grace and to honor you in response, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We carry on this morning in our series in the prophet Habakkuk. Please turn there with me if you have a Bible, and our text this morning is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Habakkuk 3. Verses 1 through 16. I'll read the text beginning in verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 3, 1 through 16. The word of the Lord reads, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shigionoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth, He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low, his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. 
The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Let's read God's word. May you bless it to our hearts this morning. Habakkuk chapter 3 is the fruition of this prophet's wrestling. It is the outworking and the fruit of the learning curve that Habakkuk has been walking along throughout this book. You'll remember in chapter 1, he brought to God a complaint. He couldn't reconcile God's character with the events he saw around him, and so he asked God a question. God responded, and that led to more questions. The prophet was still struggling. He asked specifically how God could possibly use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, such an evil nation to address the iniquities of those around him, and God graciously answered him. The book of Habakkuk is very much this one man's learning curve. And as we get to chapter 3, we see the fruition of the journey that this man has made. It is the outworking of his wrestling. It is a prayer of praise, a prayer of adoration, a prayer of steadfast faith. Now, in terms of its function in our Bibles, why is this chapter included in this book? What purpose does God intend for it to serve in our lives? Rarely do we look at the prophets and understand that the primary function is that the prophet would serve as an example for us. When you read the book of Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah or any of the minor prophets, rarely is the purpose of the text that we would imitate the man who spoke those words. The prophetic office was located to that time in history. It doesn't continue today. And primarily, the prophetic corpus is given to us so that we would read the message spoken by the prophets 
we would learn something of God and His intention for His people, and we would make a proper application within our context. It's not often that we're supposed to look at the prophet and understand that the primary purpose is that we would imitate him. But Habakkuk is an exception. You'll remember, I've noted several times, Habakkuk is unlike the other prophets in that he is not so much telling those around him the state of affairs. He is not so much projecting forward to see what is to come, but he's simply wrestling. He's complaining. He's wrestling with some of the most important questions of life. And as we've noted in the weeks gone by, there are questions that Habakkuk asks that are valid questions. It's not wrong to ask God how it is that He could ordain such evil, that He would allow such suffering. The questions themselves become instructive for us. And so here in chapter 3, we understand Habakkuk's prayer is very much intended to serve as an example for us. Habakkuk's prayer is to be for us an example from which we can learn a prayer that we can imitate. It is to be a prayer that we can imitate during times of suffering, during times of hardship. We can turn to Habakkuk 3 and pray with this prophet the words that we have read this morning. It is also to be a prayer that we can pray during times of abundance times of well-being, times of prosperity. This is not to be a prayer restricted only for those times of suffering and trial, but a prayer by which we can live our lives. The reason I say that is because perhaps, as you've already noticed, Habakkuk's prayer doesn't focus primarily on the forthcoming suffering. Habakkuk's prayer does not focus primarily on the issue with which he was wrestling at the beginning of the book, but evidencing the learning curve itself, Habakkuk's prayer centers on the character of God. And so as Habakkuk rehearses God's character and allows his attributes to feed his theology and to guide his thoughts and to guide his steps in everyday life, so this can be and ought to be a prayer that we imitate both in times of adversity and in times of abundance. Now, in terms of the structure of the prayer, we could divide it into three sections, The first I've called Habakkuk's request, verse 2. Then Habakkuk's remembrance, verses 3 through 15. And then finally Habakkuk's resolve, verse 16. If alliteration is your thing, you're welcome. Habakkuk's request, Habakkuk's remembrance, Habakkuk's Resolve, in each case, we have something to learn from the prophet. Beginning with his request, perhaps the 
initial observation that we ought to make before we even consider what it is that Habakkuk asked is to simply note verse 2 is the only verse in the entirety of the prayer wherein Habakkuk asks for something. Consider the fact that in this lengthy prayer, there is only one verse where Habakkuk makes a petition. Every other verse, he is doing something else. He is not asking from God. It is only in verse 2 that he makes a request of the Lord. That in itself should be instructive for us. I think we can often think of prayer as synonymous with asking for things. Sometimes we boil down the discipline and the grace of prayer simply to the notion of asking for things from God. Now, don't misunderstand me. God is honored when His children come to Him and bringing their requests. God is honored when you bring to Him the desires of your heart. It honors Him. It acknowledges the fact that He is a loving Heavenly Father who is willing to give when you bring your requests to Him. But requests are one room in the house that is prayer. We should think of prayer more broadly and more biblically as communion with God. Prayer is seeking to give voice to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, part of which is to ask of Him, part of which is to adore Him, to praise Him, and to rehearse the truth about Him. So notice, only one verse in this lengthy prayer is a request, and then observe the fact that before Habakkuk makes his request, he first expresses his remembrance of who God is. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. Habakkuk's request is grounded in an understanding of who God is. I've heard the report of you. The word report there most likely refers to the first two chapters of this book. He's probably going back to what God had spoken to him in response to his questions and bringing to mind who God revealed himself to be through his answers to Habakkuk. Though certainly... Theologically, we could appeal further back than simply the book Habakkuk and note that once again the prophet uses the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh. This is a favorite name of Habakkuk's used throughout the book, O Yahweh. I've heard the report of you and your work, O Yahweh, do I fear. He's appealing to the theological context that pervades all of the Old Testament, namely the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. And so before he makes a request, he is sure to bring to mind who God is. And his request is grounded in a proper biblical understanding of God's character. This remembrance guides, undoubtedly, what it is that Habakkuk asks for. 
you and I should be careful when we pray to never ask anything of the Lord that dishonors His character, to never ask anything from Him that doesn't align with who we know He is, with who He has revealed Himself to be in Scripture. We should check our requests by simply bringing to mind the truth about God, who He is, His attributes, and allow that knowledge to inform our requests that we bring to Him. So having brought to mind the character of God, Habakkuk then makes his request. He says, in the midst of years... That is to say, in these times, in the midst of years, in these times, revive it. Make it known. Cause it to come to pass. What's the it? Again, most likely referring back to the promises that God has given to Habakkuk in the first few chapters. In the midst of years, in these times, make it known. Reveal yourself in wrath. Remember mercy. Notice in the first few chapters, God has shown himself to be a God of wrath. He had made plain to Habakkuk that his people must be judged, and in turn, the Babylonians would be judged. He is a wrathful God. Additionally, in those first few chapters and throughout all of Scripture, God shows himself to be a merciful God. As he makes his covenant with the Israelites when he draws them out of Egypt, he shows himself to be a merciful God. And so, we might paraphrase Habakkuk's request in verse 2 of chapter 3 simply by saying Habakkuk prays that God would reveal himself. What is the request that Habakkuk makes of God? It is simply this, God, show yourself, reveal yourself. Make manifest once again your glorious attributes. This is a thoroughly God-honoring biblical request. It's not too early in this passage to make a point of application or I might say a challenge, and that is to examine the nature of your prayer life this morning. What does your prayer life look like? Is it, if you are honest with yourself, that you only ever pray to God very briefly before you eat a meal? Is it that you only really pray to God in the company of others because you know it's the Christian thing to do to give thanks before we eat? Is it that your prayer life is simply last-minute requests that you fire up to your Father in heaven when you feel some kind of need, some kind of want, and if you were to boil them down, really the request that you only ever bring to God is that He would make your life comfortable today. Do you pray to God that He would make your life comfortable and not much more? The way in which the Bible instructs us to pray is that we would ask God to reveal Himself. This is a prayer for times of trial, undoubtedly. 
It is not wrong to ask God to alleviate our suffering, to take away our pain and misery, whatever form it may take. It is not wrong to bring those requests. But it honors Him at the same time to say, God, however you choose to direct my paths during this season, make yourself known. Show yourself. Reveal your attributes in the midst of this suffering. It is also a prayer for times of abundance, for times of prosperity, of good well-being, It's not wrong when the Lord blesses us to acknowledge this is from the Lord. He has filled my cup with many good things, and I praise you for it, God. In these seasons, make yourself known. Be honored in my response to your blessing in my life and show yourself. Reveal yet more your attributes during these days. That is how verse 2 of Habakkuk 3 instructs us to pray. Now, from there, Habakkuk moves on to what I've called his remembrance. It forms the majority of his prayer. He's walking through a rehearsal of God's attributes and His actions. And one of the interpretive issues that scholars wrestle with in verses 3 through 15 is whether Habakkuk is looking back at a previous event or whether he is fulfilling the role of a prophet here, speaking about something that is yet to come. That's the question that we have to wrestle with as we read verses 3 through 15. Is Habakkuk reaching back to something that has happened Or is he projecting forward to something that he is confident will happen? And I would say the answer is yes. Allow me to explain. Undoubtedly, there is a backwards-looking notion to these verses. You notice that there's a lot of use of the past tense. God came, His splendor covered, he veiled his power, past tense verbs. And in terms of the particular event that Habakkuk might be drawing to mind, it would seem again that the Exodus event is in view. When God drew his people out of Egypt, he opened up the waters, formed them into a nation, led them to Sinai and gave to them his covenant. He crushed the Egyptian army. That was the foundation for his saving works throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And the prophets, whenever they speak of salvation regularly, they'll go back to the Exodus events as their paradigm by which they interpret God's saving work in the future. And so, as Habakkuk makes reference to geographical locations in verse 3, such as Taman, Mount Paran, that would be the general geographical location of Sinai. He says in verse 5 that God went forth with pestilence and plague followed at His heels. Again, of course, bringing to mind the plagues that God visited upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. 
Again in verse 15, he makes mention of the sea with the horses and the surging of mighty waters. Imagery that brings to mind that saving act of the Exodus. So it does seem like Habakkuk has that past event in view, though at the same time, we need to consider that the prophets often use the past tense to speak about things to come. They often use the past tense to speak about things in the future and to give that future event a certainty. It will definitely come to pass, and therefore I have the confidence to speak about it as if it had already happened. Consider also the fact that there is an absence of specific references to the Exodus. If Habakkuk wanted to definitively bring that event into view, would he have not mentioned the Exodus by name? Would he have not mentioned somewhere in here the nation of Egypt or the person of Pharaoh or their leader at that time, Moses? There's a strange absence of specific details in his prayer. And then consider also the first person references in Habakkuk's prayer, verse 14, they came like a whirlwind to scatter me. The point is Habakkuk seems to be placing one hand on a past event in order to speak about a future reality. He seems to be laying a hand on the theological dynamic that pervaded the time of the Exodus, not concerned with the specific details, but more the theology that attended those events, in order to project forward and with certainty say, and I know God will act in the same way again. The way in which we saw Him behave in the past will be the manner in which He conducts His affairs in the future. And the emphasis, the focus of Habakkuk as he does this, again, is not so much the event, but God himself. Habakkuk's utmost concern in this portion of remembrance is to rehearse the glorious attributes of God himself. And so we see, by way of example, he calls to mind God's splendor. Verse 3, his splendor covered the heavens. He opened up the waters and his splendor covered the heavens as the earth was full of his praise. He calls to mind his power, verse 4, his brightness was like the light rays flashed in his hand. He veiled his power. We saw some expression of his strength, but by no means was it the full estimation of his power. He calls to mind God's wrath. Before God went pestilence, after Him came plague. He is a wrathful God, visiting vengeance upon those who refuse to acknowledge Him. He calls to mind God's sovereignty. Verse 6, God stood and measured the earth. It was an object to be measured. He looked and He shook the nations. 
The eternal mountains were scattered. They are nothing to this sovereign God. His were the everlasting ways. And then he calls to mind God's salvation. You see, he starts to ask questions. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your target on the geographical features? Was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea? These questions are by no means a complaint. Habakkuk is simply letting his theology find its voice on the way to verse 13, 14, when he says, you went out for the salvation of your people. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. The mountains saw you and they writhed. The sun and the moon stood still. Why was all of this taking place? It was not because your wrath was against the rivers, but because you had a plan for salvation. You went out, verse 13, for the salvation of your people. That was the goal. That was the purpose in your acting. And it will drive you, it will compel you in the future. You will go out once again for the salvation of your people. The salvation, verse 13, of your anointed. Most likely there, the word anointed refers to His chosen nation, Israel. But don't miss the ever-so-telling illusion that then follows. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise. When Adam and Eve sinned, they transgressed. Sin entered into the world and God acted. He took the initiative graciously making a promise that an individual would come so as to redeem humanity. There would be one who would come to make this right, and the promise given by God there is that this individual would crush the head of the serpent. It is language that we find all the way through the Old Testament, including here in Habakkuk 3. And so you see, as Habakkuk rehearses the attributes of God, he does so placing his current suffering within a much broader context. Habakkuk understands now that he sits within the canvas of redemptive history, and that God is working out a plan towards the end of His glory. On the final day, God will be glorified in the judgment of sinners and in the salvation of His people. And all of it is working out the praise of His glory. In a sense, you might say this remembrance is Habakkuk laying hold of what we read last week in verse 14 of chapter 2, that one day the whole earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Habakkuk in prayer says, yes, now I understand that this is where it is all headed Now I perceive that there is a plan and a purpose even to my suffering. You will be glorified and everything comes under that overarching plan. And again, this functions for us as an example of how we are to pray. 
We pray like this during times of adversity. During times of trial, we bring to mind who God is. We call to mind how God has acted in the past. It is so critically important for Christians to be mindful of how God has shown Himself in previous times in redemptive history and in our own lives. What do I know to be true of God? This is why we study the Bible, to learn of Him in order that it might feed our faith and guide our steps. I know God to be a good God. I know God to be merciful. I know that He has been kind to me. And I know that He is concerned above all things for the praise of His glory. You give voice to this theology in times of suffering and allow what you know to be true of God to orient your perspective. How does Habakkuk make sense of the injustice that prevails around him? How does he reconcile what he knows to be true of God with what he sees to be going on around him? He puts it all within a much, much, much bigger context. I trust and I know that one day it is coming to pass that the whole earth will be covered with His glory. And because of that, I can now trust in the Lord and rejoice in who He is. It is also a prayer for when times are good. It is not that when times are good, when we enjoy abundance and prosperity and good health and well-being and straight paths and much comfort, it is not that we allow the character of God to slip from our mind during those seasons. God forbid that He would not be in the meditations of our hearts when He blesses us. Oh, that He would be preeminent in our hearts during those seasons also. That we would not simply be those who cry out to God when we have need. But when He has abundantly met our needs, we would take pleasure in who He is. Calling to mind His attributes and understanding the blessings that have come from His hand in a much, much bigger context. May we always be those that strive to put our own experience within a much bigger framework of redemptive history. However God chooses to work in your life, would it be through bringing trial or bringing abundance, may we always put it in with a much bigger framework of redemptive history. God is working out His plan to bring about the praise of His glory on every square inch of this planet, and somehow His ordained path for me right now fits into that plan. And so I call to mind His attributes, what I know to be true of Him. I stand back and observe that glorious plan, and I cast my mind forward to that day, and my response is to praise Him. Now with that, Habakkuk goes on to his resolve. 
verse 16, I hear, he says, my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Again, there is a question as to whether Habakkuk is referring to all that he has brought to mind concerning God when he says, I hear what is the object of his hearing, what is he referring to? My body trembles. Why is it trembling? My lips quiver at the sound. The sound of what, Habakkuk? Is he referring to all that he has brought to mind concerning the terrible nature of God, the awe-inspiring, fear-provoking nature of God? Or is he bringing to mind the certainty of the judgment that is coming at the hand of the Babylonians? And again, I believe the answer is yes. Habakkuk, you see, has learnt to reconcile the character of God with the injustices around him. This was the opening struggle at the beginning of the book. I know that you are powerful, I know that you are good, and yet I see evil around me. How do I reconcile the two? Habakkuk has learnt how to reconcile the two. And so, having rehearsed the character of God in the preceding verses, he now understands that this judgment is certainly on its way. We might say it like this, in a sense, everything has changed and nothing has changed. Everything has changed for Habakkuk because he is no longer the ready-to-speak, ready-to-complain, ready-to-point-the-finger-at-God man that he was in chapter 1. Everything has changed because now he is the man in verse 16 of chapter 3 who says, I will wait quietly for your expression of judgment on us and in turn on the Babylonians. Everything has changed because his perspective has shifted. Everything is now different because Habakkuk chooses to look at the situation from a biblical standpoint, understanding that God has a greater plan than what he can presently perceive. Everything has changed. At the same time, nothing has changed. God has not walked back on his judgment God has not heard Habakkuk's struggles and he's wrestling and said, Habakkuk, I'm going to take this away from you. I'm going to change my ordained path. His plan remains the same, to judge the wickedness of Judah and in turn to judge the Babylonians. And so just as in Habakkuk's remembrance he laid hold of, chapter 2, verse 14, he laid hold of and gave voice to the theology that Habakkuk was taught by God that one day the whole earth will be covered with his glory. 
In chapter 3, verse 16, Habakkuk lays hold of 2-4. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk lays hold of and gives voice to, in chapter 3, verse 16, the theology that the Lord instructed him in chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. They will rise up each morning and they will wait quietly with a submissive heart upon the Lord. The righteous won't fight God's purposes. They won't push back on who He is or what He has ordained to be right. The righteous will quietly trust in the Lord. Each and every day, the righteous will live by faith. And that is Habakkuk's resolve. Having wrestled with God, he now praises Him and resolves by grace to live by faith. Again, this is instructive for us. Prayer is not a mechanism by which we might manipulate God and get Him to change His plans. Prayer is not a mechanism at our disposal for us to manipulate God. It's not the case that if we pray hard enough, we can twist God's arm and get Him to change the path that He has ordained for us from before the foundation of the world. Prayer is a grace given to us by which We nurture our faith. It's a grace afforded to us by which we show our love for God and our trust in Him. And I understand in saying that this morning, it might be that as you wrestle with your own prayer life, the nature, the character of your own prayer life, you might recognize this is not how I pray. It might be that as you listen to Habakkuk's prayer and you see the reality of faith in his life, you recognize the absence of it in your own. You can start praying like this today. You can pray in faith to God this morning based upon the gospel that reconciles man to God, you can take God at His word that He really did send His Son to make a payment for sin. You can accept that and pray to God in faith. Not asking primarily that He would give you what you want, that He would do what you want, but simply telling Him that you're going to live your life waiting upon Him and trusting in His character and His purposes. And if indeed that is the nature of your prayer life to some degree, may it be so all the more as we're reminded this morning of what biblical prayer is, both in times of adversity and in times of abundance. May we, like Habakkuk, 
rise every morning and quietly wait for God's purposes in our lives to prevail. May we, like Habakkuk, rise every morning and rehearse to God the wonder of His character. May we praise God for who He has shown Himself to be and who He will show Himself to be yet again. And may we worship Him in prayer as an expression of our faith. Would you pray with me now to close? Father in heaven, we give you thanks for these rich, rich verses. Wonderful portions of Scripture, such as Habakkuk 3, that are so instructive for us. We see a model prayer spoken by the prophet to you. Certainly he brings his requests and you are honored when we bring to you our requests. But may they always be grounded in an understanding of who you are. Father forbid that we would make requests of you that do not honor you. Hold us back from asking things of you that would not honor your character. Tune our hearts with who you are and guide our lips to request of you that which is grounded in an understanding of who you are. We see Habakkuk's remembrance of how you have shown yourself in previous generations and his confidence that you will reveal yourself in the same way yet again Father, give us this confidence in prayer. May we be those who regularly rehearse your attributes, your person and your works. And may we express a steadfast hope that you will reveal yourself in the same manner again. Father, teach us to place our prayers our circumstances, the interpretation of our lives, teach us to place it all within the much larger framework of redemptive history. We sit within a glorious plan that began, began with a promise that you would send a deliverer, a righteous deliverer to crush the head of the serpent. And that plan is headed for the reality of Habakkuk 2.14, a covering of the earth with a knowledge of your glory. Teach us to place our prayers in that context. 
we see Habakkuk's resolve. It is a resolve to live quietly by faith. Everything has changed. His perspective is now wonderfully different. And yet nothing has changed. His circumstances are exactly the same. Father, teach us to live by faith, quietly, humbly, submitting to your decree each and every day. In this, would you be greatly glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me now for the benediction? May the God who keeps covenant, who has revealed himself and who gives faith, be honored in our lives as we go from here.